I'm Chris Lockhart. Welcome to the video podcast. Um, I'm joined by Bill Bensing, Phil Yanoff, Shashi Shramali. And uh, today we actually have a guest uh, for our podcast. Uh, we have Jim Sevier joining us. This is Consultant Saying Things. And today we want to talk a little bit about um, customer experience, sales, marketing, uh, customer relationship management. Um, and frankly, uh, you know, the genesis of this conversation was uh, over some cigars a couple of weeks ago. And, um, uh, you know, I was, in, I was particular I was dealing with a particular thing at a particular client. We're focused on customer experience and, and delivering a really great uh, technology product to delight the customer and, and all of these wonderful things. And Jim mentioned something to the effect of, well, you know, it's more than just that. Right. There's. There's the sales, there's the marketing, and there's the management of the customer experience that goes along with all of that. And I thought, well, that's really interesting. Of course, that seems to make a lot of sense, but a lot of people don't really actively think about it. And my client wasn't actively thinking about it. So uh, I, I wanted to have a little discussion about that. So uh, Jim, thank you for joining us. I appreciate it. Um, you're you're coming, Thanks for having me here. Appreciate you're it. coming. You're coming to us live from a recording studio somewhere in the in the valley. I take in the, it in the, in the heart of um, downtown Burbank and yeah. in the Hollywood Hills. Let me, let me let me pose this to you, and then we can have some of the others here join in. I mean, um, I'm thinking customer experience. Uh, I, I already mentioned erroneously thinking about it as a technology delivery thing. I know that that's wrong, but that's sort of what came to my mind. Um, we have relationship management, right? The, the relation, the management of the customer relationship, and then, but we also have the sales and marketing piece of it. How, how do these three things relate to each other? They are individual things in most companies because companies really haven't. I don't know that they've actually had a holistic look at really how to deal with customer issues because sometimes the customer has a problem with a product, so they go to engineering or to support, and nobody in sales ever sees that. Um, no one's really ever reaches out customer-wise to the marketing department, but the marketing department's always reaching out to the customer. And then you've got situations where you're in sales, where you're forward-looking, you'd never look behind you. And so you're always looking for the next sale. So in a lot of cases, you know, the, the customer journey is chopped up into, and then if anything really bad goes on to a really good client, then senior leadership gets in gets involved. And then that's, that's just a whole other slew of issues that come on. And to say that there is like one app that can do it all is, and I know that there are apps out there that are trying to do that. But honestly, you've got organizations that are either current looking, current looking with a look, kind of a nod to the future, current looking, and then looking back. I mean, any part of the organization isn't always looking at the customer. So, and then you've got everybody on that list who has the ability to update the customer experience management or CRM. And so you've got the uninterested masses who have no stake in the, the accuracy of any of the information. And then the customer ultimately has their own satisfaction rating that has nothing to do with the information you collected. So yeah, there's, there's, a, lot of, there's a lot of moving pieces here. Typically, the way we break down the organizations are structured are basically in three ways. One is you have front office, you have back office, and you have middle office. Front office is primarily the function which is your customers directly in one way, shape, or form, which includes your product because product what you build 
are directly consumed by your members, right? And then you have sales, they interact with your constituents directly, marketing that works with your members directly. And then lately, I we have moved customer service from being a back office function to a front office function because they are one of the key components to making your constituent experience a world class. I think all these four functions needs to work in tandem, needs to collaborate heavily in order to provide a top class constituent experience working with the members directly. Bill Benson, you're dealing with like, you know, you know, rapid development, agile development, smaller companies moving faster. Are they thinking of it and chunked up in that way? Or is it a smooth continuum or I don't know, whatever word the, the millennials have come up with to describe it? You know, as, as I'm hearing front office, back office, and sales and marketing, and I think the answer is no, because the word I'm using and the concept is growth hacking. So just for a bit of background in a very wait, early wait, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Growth hacking? Is that what Gro you just said? Growth hacking. It's actually a book called Growth Hacking. Phenomenal. Um, <laughs> but uh, so growth hacking. And so as I, I think about, I'm hearing Sashi talk about mid front back office, my question to myself, and I look to my, you know, to, to, to the Googles of the world, they're always my inspirations on how they deal with customers is, you know, and I ask myself this question, do they have a mid back front office? Because all I have is literally two engineers who need to touch customers and get product out to market um, and, other, and a couple other folks around that. So as I think about my customer relation management, you know, and maybe this is a broad question back because this is what I'm trying to answer is what does CRM mean when you're in a small world and you don't have the, I'll say the luxury of a front mid back office or is the front mid back office a, uh, an archaic concept that as you think about very tech aligned companies that say Netflix, Google, whatever it may be, have they redefined how that comes to a customer relation management with look at Amazon being customer centric. It's all about the customer, and you know. It's so, Chris. To answer your question, no, I can't think of it like that. But I'm also, I'm also struggling with this one and how I staff and grow my organization going forward. And that's why I love the concept of growth hacking. It's sort of this um, ubiquitous way where people get together, think about ideas to grow the company, and then they experiment with it. You know, and of course, you guys are dealing typically with much larger folks than I would spend some time in. But the thing I see in this is, regardless of size, there's lots of opportunities for tech to affect customer experience, right? And you know the risks are that nobody went and talked to the customer, no one pulled that data back out, no one figured out what those touch points were. You know, this I think this is a great callback to our uh, design thinking episode when we talked about, you know, where we, 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 get, we can get into a place and not ask enough questions. But, you know, I like the idea of saying, well, how do we take what we're doing from a tech, whether it's a small business? And, and I think the difference there might be that, you know, it's just the tool set, right? So if you're in a small or medium sized business, you might be using something like a Nimble. But, you know, if you're getting up into the big platforms, uh, you know, in a large size business, the question is, how do I customize those? Because that is the differentiator for so many companies. You know, this is what we thought we were getting into in tech is we can use tech to differentiate the way we service our customers at whatever stage they're at. Picking up on that thread, right? Tech as a enabler to serving service the customer. And, you know, and, and how do you maybe address also this question of, you know, the the differences between the large and, and small companies. It's actually being addressed for us by the application companies, the, the manufacturers of these apps that are coming out here. They've now, I mean, they're giving it away basically for free with really 
large amounts of functionalities to businesses that are in that, you know, two to two to fifty range. And then once you jump above that, then you want some of the feature sets associated with higher level CRM apps. But um, companies like Zoho and HubSpot and and they're just they're, they're, they realize that the small to mid-sized market and really the the small and the small of the mid-size is really a marketplace okay. where that's where their growth comes from when those businesses get bigger. And if they give their, their product away up front, then they're going to stay with it when they go. So they're, they're actually doing some pretty cool things to make, to Bill's point, you know, the, the company that's got a couple of engineers that's just trying to get product out the door, you know, that's forward looking and you need buying signals. And so those CRM apps, that's pretty much what you're focusing on is, hey, they came to my website. I know that they came to my website because they've also um, picked up and opened up my email. And all of these things, these activities, these buying signals are really what they're focusing on in that small to midsize. In the larger, those, those things have a tendency to kind of go away because it's now more of a, uh, more of a backwards looking tool when you get into the larger organizations. So you're saying larger organizations are a bit backwards. That's what I took away from that, right? <laughs> the time a customer gets, you know, everything that they need from a large organization, they could, they could touch four or five, six different organizations within that business. And exactly. So it's, it's hard to pull all that together into a picture that says, here is your customer. And so most of the time, yeah, most of the time they are looking backwards at a customer long after that customer has had what they whatever their experience was. Don't you think that the bigger an organization it is, the more difficult it can be for them to get the brand story right from all the way in that initial part of promising through the marketing, through how they dealt with the salespeople. And then you're talking about delivery and experience and all of that kind of bit. But it's, I, I think it can be really hard. And I'm kind of curious as to how, you know, when you're coaching sales leadership people, what do you tell them to do in order to not get that wrong? First thing you've got to do is you've got to have everything digital and it has to be accessible through the company's main portals. I mean, that's the first step because if you give me the opportunity to take a PowerPoint and I'm in the field in like Boise, Idaho, or I'm in, in, in Florida, or I'm in London, England, I'm going to take that PowerPoint and I'm going to change it to what I believe my customer wants to hear. And this happens, this happened at Lucent and Avaya when I was there, it was just, it, and, and then the message just gets diluted. So the first thing I say is make everything digital, make it something that you can access online, but you can't download. And when you do that, mm. then you can have awareness and demand generation within marketing. Those campaigns keep the message the same as it gets into the sales organization and ultimately into the customer's hands. To that point, isn't like, uh, right now we are talking more about personalization, giving personalized message to our uh, customers. And you are saying let's standardize up to an extent that when your salespeople are interacting with members, they cannot customize it as per their need. So what is the fine balance between standardization versus personalization? and giving some creativity for your salespeople to close the deal. There's one thing, so one of the things that, that I'm teaching and all the, the education that I'm delivering is I, I need the salesperson to not change the message of the company, but bring the message of the company, elements of the message of the company to the customer in the way that the customer is, is able to hear it, right? So I'm not, I don't want the message to change. I want the salesperson to know that, hey, I'm in healthcare, and these are the words that we use in healthcare. 
even though marketing set out a, a generic message that's supposed to be for everybody. So it's it's more of a language change than it is a message change. And that, you know, because every industry has its own technical speak, its own jargon. So that's really what I'm teaching right. at that point is the salesperson's ability to look at a customer and say, I can't say that word to that customer because that's not their word. And then have them replace, have him or her replace that word with the jargon of that industry. And that, that works just fine. Like French to English, Spanish to, to Latin, you know, it's, it's like, you know, we're just changing our words. Talking about the messaging, let me ask this question. So, I mean, I'm coming from the smaller side, I've been in the big businesses and, you know, push versus pull marketing, push versus pull messaging. And I have this theory right now that sales is going extinct. And I believe it's at the intersection of push versus pull marketing because as you see digitally as you're, ta <laughs> no, <just kidding. laughs> as, as, you're as you're talking, it's, you know, a lot of consumers, you think about a sales funnel, they get attracted through pull marketing. Pull marketing is the whole concept of having that message there at the time they're seeking for it as opposed to pushing. And so maybe, I, and this is a question I want to ask you, maybe I don't want to call it intellectual spar or not because you by far have more um, depth of knowledge of this. And I'm just going off what I read in books at this point in time and all the failures I have. Um, but what if sales disappears tomorrow? What if there are no sales? What if it's all poll marketing where your customers meet you at the intersection, but also your whole strategy is to pull them through the funnel and you're just using a messaging approach for that? It's interesting. That is, uh, honestly, that is the discussion that I'm having with sales organizations today. How often do you talk to a sales rep at Amazon or Google or, or you name you name the major retailers out there, how often do you actually speak to somebody? Um, but we, we're in that flux area right now where there's still a difference in experience expectations from a B2B, business to business, and B2C, business to consumer. So business to consumer, definitely the pull, the pull sort of sales uh, based on you know your activity on my site, what you're doing, I'm gonna send you some, some, some targeted marketing and targeted rationale for you to wanna pull this met, just go ahead and order it online, that type of thing. Uh, but in the B2B world, there's still a concierge aspect to the selling process. There's still that, they're still gonna do a lot of their homework more online, right? That, that's a big change in the B2B marketplace that's happened. They'll do a, like 80% of that, but there's just not enough, uh, well, let me, let me put it a different way. There's a lot of marketing out there <laughs> and it's hard to tell marketing from you know different forms of reality, so uh, so they're looking for a concierge, and they're and that concierge absolutely has to have experience doing what it is that they are looking to do. That's you know, Jim, isn't that the sort of the the optimal state of any type of sales or marketing is that your customers sell on your behalf? That is it. I mean, that's I mean, I can look at my wife's business. She's in motion picture and television. She's not done one ounce of marketing her entire twenty five years in her business, and she gets referrals, and she does such a great job that people just move on to the next job on, that she's worked with to another production company and they just bring her on. There's absolutely her, her business in that market, in that, in that perspective, I guess is what you're saying is, is that it really becomes a referral. Um, now it's taken her 25 years to do that. And let me tell you what year one through seven was like for her. Demand generation is forward looking. And again, CRM in my perspective is after you've got all that data in, what kind of analytics can you pull from it, like trends and analysis of, you know, likeness of somebody to buy? All that stuff is backwards looking. When you use demand generation, that is 100% marketing. That's normally now socialized. 
um, and it's actually targeting uh, call to actions that drive the behavior of the customer, whether it's a business customer or consumer, back to the website so that you can log that access, see them enter your web portal, or see them access the content that's inside of your website. Normally, my mind is like tech is not the problem. It's always people, right? The people problem available on Amazon.com. But um, <laughs> today, I'm, I'm very much in the technology mindset, right? So when I, when I hear all of this, uh, point, tell me I'm wrong, Jim. All I'm hearing is data. It's data. It's either, it's either historical data that I'm running analytics on, or it's real-time data, or it's some sort of forward-looking data, you know, uh, prediction engines and, and things of that nature. Uh, is this just a data thing? Uh, in, in which case, maybe a large company running SAP CRM, you know, $100 million implementation with 1,000 people all, you know, on the keyboard, maybe they have, uh, you know, a leg up on this versus, you know, Bill and his two engineers who I presume are, you know, in middle school and, you know, don't have like that, that depth of, you know, data, right. To really go off of, is this, is this a data thing or is it, is it not? It's a, it's a journey, even as a business, you know, when you start out and you're a startup in that first three to five, it really isn't about data. It's about to what Sasha was saying was really about customer service. It's really about creating a referenceable, base of accounts so you're really not it's really not data at that point in fact most companies in that one to three to five year range almost have no crm at all right that's yes. they're just everything's manual everything's on post-its uh the people are there because they want to be there not because they're really getting paid a lot right so there's a there's a heart element involved there then um then it changes when you when you go from like five to fifteen million dollars a big shift changes and that is Somebody, I don't know, I don't know how this started, and I'm still trying to, to dissect this a little bit more. But between five to 15 million, somebody stands up in the organization and says, We got to start collecting data. Uh, again, I don't know where that started, um, but they do. They say, We're old enough, we're big enough now, we got to have policies, we got to have procedures, we got to write things down, we've got HR now. And so they just start collecting data. And that just usually goes into a CRM app because no one knows where, what else to do with it. So it's kind of, you know, and then when you get to the big of bigs, then it becomes AI. I mean, that's honestly, that's, if you want to talk about a differentiator for larger organizations, it's their ability. They have so much data that they can, you can end up probably talking three quarters of the way through some sort of technical support or sales support. And you're, you don't even realize you're talking to a bot. Yeah, I actually uh, just had a, a client that is, is working on that particular thing. Um, you know, they're putting it under the banner of our RPA robotic process automation, but it's really um, more of your your typical sort of interactive voice response, and you know, shifting the cost of training agents and uh, having customers on a long wait time, and shifting that to you know the interactive uh, voice uh, system um, from a you know, ostensibly it's for quality improvement. It's a cost play also, right? Um, cost play, it's a big, big, big cut. But yeah, I mean, so so where's, where is that balance? Because, you know, the worst experience, right, is the friggin', you know, automated thing that can't understand what you're saying and 
at the end of the day, it's just agent. Give me the agent, 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 agent. I'll transfer you to the agent now, right? And that doesn't, that's not the experience that I want. And that's not the result that the company wanted me to have. At the end of the day, I'm still using resources to talk to a person. So where is that balance, right? Uh, between the, the heavy footprint to make sure that the experience is right versus, you know, um, the cost of, of, of doing all of that. The, the balance is time, right? First time a cell phone got in your hands, you, you were like, oh, this is so crazy. This is amazing. I can do so many things. And then your calls started dropping. I, I got to tell you, I got to raise my hand. I threw, I threw more cell phones out the window of my car the first five years that cell phones existed because they were just so infuriating. I'm on a call. I'm trying to get a point across. And then I got no voice, right? So it's crazy that, but these te the tech that we're talking about, any sort of automation, whether that's, you know, AI, auto response bots, voice interaction, all that kind of stuff, it's gotten dramatically better over the last 10 years and it will continue to get better. And even in the last two years has gotten a lot better. And it's just our ability to, to wait out the time that it's going to take for it to be really beneficial to us. I was on an AI bot with um, UPS just yesterday. They told me they delivered a package. It didn't. It, it did from their perspective. It didn't from mine. Um, and that's all I kept saying to it. Customer service agent. Customer service. And I just wouldn't stop saying that until I got somebody on the line. Um, but it was kind of funny there for a second. I thought about it. I was actually having an argument with a bot that was trying to put me somewhere in a nice little box that they could they could tell what it was that I needed, and I didn't want to go there. Um, yeah, so we got a little ways to go, but it's time. If I'm a practitioner, right, just making it very practical and real, and and I, you know maybe in a small company or maybe in a large company, but you know what? How do I? What's what's my takeaway from this? Because I, I'm engaged. Let's say I'm a developer. I'm engaged in writing code to deliver X as, as part of a feature set, right, for the product or service. Right? Why should I care about the sales and marketing process for the thing that I'm releasing in terms of, of development? What? How am I supposed to react to all of this as a as a tech practitioner? So a lot of times, I mean, we're trying to figure out what it is we're going to deliver, and we never saw what were the stories we were telling the customer about what we were going to deliver, right? I mean, you know, and we, we've all had those kinds of problems occur, but I, I think there's just not enough cross-pollination a lot of times. Again, how what, what did we say we were going to do, and did we actually do it? I think it, it can be as simple as that, but in big organizations, it's expensive to get those people in a room and have them talk to each other, and so sometimes there's a shortcut taken. And, you, and I think if you do that, the, the, the problem we have is the guys who are really good at this, the people with the biggest organizations, the biggest budgets, the ones who have the most sophisticated consultants, they really are going to use things like AI to sort of bridge some of these gaps, right? I mean, they're going to reach in and say, well, let's let's get this data put together and now let's go respond to that. I mean, that is going to be part of the solution. And again, it does in fact change whether I am trying to do, you know, this really flat thing, right, where I'm going to be, deal with a whole bunch of consumers, right? That's a highly automated process, as opposed to, you know, it, our shorthand for it in this conversation today has been B2B. But the fact is, if I'm a category defining product, 
Um, the value that I'm bringing to this process is education, right? I've got to change, I've got to help educate a client about something brand new in terms of how they're going to be doing business because I'm going to be changing that. And it won't necessarily come easy and it might be really expensive. The beauty of that is I've built a wall around what I'm doing and that's a completely different way of delivering. If I'm going to go do that, the processes I build around that, the way that I'm going to communicate with the customer, the way I'm going to keep touching them changes as opposed to if I'm doing something really flat. Do you see that as a common model in anything you're doing? Maybe it's a large or small organization where people are bringing down to smaller teams that are have every resource they need that can theoretically be independent from the parent company, but yet highly cohesive in the fact that they are achieving the same mission yeah. by going that way. Yeah, I mean that's that you've hit it on the head. I mean that's that's really what organizations today are having to do to just survive is to is to instead of having a large organization with a huge line card they're taking, you know, two or three or four individuals, putting them together in a team, giving them one product each to sell and having them go into a marketplace and dominate that marketplace with their brand name and that product. And that's all that, that these guys are doing today. Um, and that has significantly improved their ability to communicate better to customers because now they're, they're instead of talking about 30 things with the client, they're only talking about one. So... So that definitely is the trend, and we're seeing it in large, medium, and small. It, it, it is a small medium or a small to medium size uh, way you do business, and the larger organizations are now seeing, seeing the value of you know, basically making sales squads. What, what has fundamentally changed? Is it, is it just tech and the velocity with which modern expectations are changing? Or is there something fundamentally the same? It's just being delivered differently or, or, or handled differently? What's changing or, or is anything changing? I think ultimately organizations have realized that the definition of insanity being that they're going to expect different results doing the same thing over and over again. They finally got a level. And I, and I honestly think they've got a youthfulness inside of their sales leadership that hasn't happened yet um, or hasn't happened until now because we just, I mean, we're just getting to millennials are in that in that range where they're they're in those stakeholder leadership roles, and I think that's what's driving this. But they are it has changed. This isn't about tech, by the way. This isn't about anything more than just being able to say something engaging and relevant to a client, and and getting feedback, immediate feedback, either through an interaction like you and I and we are all having here in front of video, or getting a delayed response through email, or getting a semi um active response through social media that's really it, it's not tech it's not really uh, a process that that has changed or a methodology it's just i think that there's a new mindset now that just says what we've been doing for the last hundred years it can't be what we do when we move into the next the next 50. we've got to change something and the easiest thing to change is the sales organization, if you will, I, I totally agree with Bill's I, the, his comment regarding the. I think it's. I'm not going to call it the extinction of sales, but it's clearly going to evolve into something that doesn't look at all like it does today. And a lot of older reps that I that I have ability to, to mentor, they're having a real difficult time with this. What you said is right, and that's exactly what we are observing in the industry as well. That is exactly the reason why you got to do the customer experience design by putting people from sales, service, marketing, product, and other stakeholders 
everybody has a vision in their head that what experience should look like it's important for an organization especially the large organization to put them in a room saying let's agree on the experience we want to provide let's execute on it rather than keep reinventing and rethinking about it it has to be time boxed innovation or experience design you know a couple of weeks ago google showed off the google duplex feature at google io which was uh, google basically on your behalf making outbound phone calls booking a hair salon call maybe ordering food from a restaurant or something like that and i'm wondering you know as you're talking to people about you know building and cultivating sales teams how do you see that sort of technology either integrating or disrupting the sales process uh, from a consumer-based targeting perspective uh, you know i i would see that this it would be a sales enabler I, I can see that for smaller companies, that could be a huge sales enabler. Um, for larger organizations, however, I think that, again, just based on on an organization's ability to understand itself, how am I going to get Google to understand me if I can't even understand myself or explain myself? And I think that that's that's where the that's where there's not enough time and there's certainly not enough uh, metrics that we can go through and say how good or how well they they're doing in that yet but um i admit that it, you know this is a crummy first draft right this first vet this didn't work great the first time around but the fact is they're going to go out and test this and they're and they are rolling it out to some phone some people there are folks playing with it but could you see one day for example you know there are folks who pay other people to generate sales leads for them right i mean basically they go and ask a few questions i mean it's not completing the sales call but it's saying have you considered doing this with your hardware or software or whatever i i think that this is something that could be one day part of the process oh i i would absolutely say i would agree with you absolutely i would see that as part of the process it's it's an element of the process that's very time consuming for sales Right. And they're, they'd be more than willing to hand that piece off. Sure. Uh, because, I mean, time is their biggest and most valuable commodity. So, yeah, I could see that. I could see that technology taking off in that arena. Yes, absolutely. You know, normally we sort of like ask, like, what's a key takeaway? That's just so consultant-y, right? Like, what's the key takeaway of like a box of three bullet points or something? Um, I think what's more interesting is, you know, and and maybe we can go in age order. So we'll start with Bill, obviously, right? Um, you know, what, you were starting at <laughs> which end of the spectrum? Yeah. Um, you know, what, you know, what does the future of of experience look like? And 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 I'm using an, my new definition of experience to include that that whole cycle of you know, the acquisition of the customer and the servicing of the customer and the delivery of the product and, and ongoing it. What does the future look like for that? Right. And I, I don't know, I'd, I'd be curious to that because I think we've kind of seen where it's come from. We've talked a little bit about like some of the, you know, the voice control uh, stuff and, and the assistance. Um, but what is the what does the experience look like in 10 years? Bill, what's your thought on that? Ooh, wow, 10 years. Um, and the reason I ask, Bill, is because you're going to be creating it, right? So, <laughs> you know, you better get it right. That's, you know. <laughs> so here's what I think about it from the sales and experience. It's, it's, let's talk about short term to bring it to long term. I'm a 
try to make this quick. So what you're going to see is, I think Jim is talking to you, you're going to see what you see in small, medium-sized businesses going to large businesses. This small team of folks getting together to have all the resources they need to bring products to market because that has evidently proven disruptive in today's how we do sales and bring product to market today. Um, what you're going to see in 10 years around technology is I'm going to go back to the Unix philosophy. You got, you know, your big CRMs out there. I don't know if we could use names, but I'm just going to use it anyways, like Salesforce and whatnot. They got plugins and they're a platform. But I think what you're going to see is a lot more technology being leveraged is, um, is uh, these independent components to help the small teams get across and maintain their value proposition, whether it's communication, recommunication or whatnot. So you're stepping back from big uh, monolithic platforms or plugins and going to smaller single purpose things. Um, but then also you'll have this cross uniform layer of data and data sharing that helps people understand what it looks like. But I think in 10 years, literally, if I were to say today, what does 10 years look like? You have a team of five to seven people that are then in themselves their own small business inside of a big business. And then businesses look like a, a what do they call that? Uh, I don't want to call it a conglomerate, but it's like all team is basically like wholly owned. Uh, I'm, miss, I'm missing the words, but literally like their own small company inside mm -hmm. of a big company. And you got thousands of them, thousands of them. So that's my 10-year prediction. So uh, I think um, CRM is a great technology which sits on the border of any organization. It connects with your enterprise uh, internal system and it directly interacts with or empowers or you know your people who are interacting with the customers directly are also using that system. So I see a rate at which the channels of interaction with consumers are increasing. The technology needs to evolve to address all the channels of interaction. A. B, it will evolve in ensuring the end-to-end -end journey of acquire, service, and retain, which addresses sales, marketing, and service. There will be a higher degree of collaboration among all these functions, leveraging a platform like CRM. It has a great role to play uh, when it comes to making um, a customer experience or realizing a customer experience as envisioned by the executives. You know, my crystal ball is probably the worst of all, but one of the things I think is that, you know, we will, you know, to, to the extent that, that self-service and automation can work uh, for things that are sort of, I don't want to say low value, but sort of easy transactions, repetitive transactions, uh, low impact transactions, we're going to see that. I mean, you know, if you go to a Chick-fil-A or a Starbucks today, quite frankly, uh, I don't involve myself in the sales process with a person behind the counter if I can avoid it. I order it on my phone and it's just delivered to the counter, right? So I've sort of cut that cat out altogether. We know that places like McDonald's and so forth are, gonna, are going to do that. The thing is, there are this other end of the spectrum where these super high value transactions where the things are complicated. I need to be educated. I need to get my questions answered. And that's the point where... You know, I've got, you know, guys like Jim who are bringing together teams who are, uh, are doing really good jobs of pulling that information together. The thing is, those guys will be technology enabled because, you know, Jim's going to make sure that they have the back end that delivers the customer data. What, you know, how did I do my intention signaling on the front end? You know, what are the, in my business, what am I likely to need? What are other people who are profiled like me? What sort of technology do they need to push them forward? So I think there's a whole lot of work to be done here, whether you're at either end. On the consultant side, you know, you just got to pick out where you want to play. I, I, I'm a bit of a contrarian sometimes. Um, I'm, I'm not in the bell curve. I'm um, usually one end of the or the other. Um, <laughs> and so, I mean, I, I look at this and look. I mean, 
I've got an, I've got a Google Home and an Alexa right here, and I have them talk to each other, and it's delightful. And Siri's over here, and you know Cortana nobody uses, but anyway, the point is is that you know I have all of these things, and I love them, and I use them, um, you know, when I feel like using them. I think there's a human element here that, for whatever reason, our modern society is just really ill-equipped to identify and work with and anticipate, and that is the human um, propensity kind of just do whatever we feel at a particular time. And so, yeah, there's plenty of times I order on the QT app because I don't want to see anybody. I just want to go in and get the thing and leave. And then there's other times I'm in a good mood and I want to talk to people. And and it's a completely, you know, uh, random kind of thing. It's a biochemical kind of thing, you know. Um, and, and and so I, I, I have a hard time predicting for myself what I'm going to want to use going forward in the future because I can see kind of both both sides of it so I, I you know I, that's not really like what does it look like in 10 years so I'm not really answering my own question but I, you know I kind of feel like you know I don't know because I on the one hand I could see you know a backlash against kiosks at McDonald's right yeah I get it it's reducing costs they're gonna see you know a drop in operational costs it's gonna make their margin better it could look good financially in the short term there could be you know, I don't want to go there, right? And the screen's greasy or I don't know, whatever it is, right? I could see a backlash to that kind of thing. On the other hand, I can see people love it and their sales go up. So I, I don't know is, is my answer. But Jim, uh, give us give us, give us us the, the expert perspective on this. What, what's it going to look like in the future? Well, I, I, to your point, Chris, the, the easy pickoff on that one is, is that there is a human element to this. There is a people problem here when it comes to any time where you want to automate your outreach and and automate your ability to, to reach a, an audience that you're trying to reach with a product or service you're delivering. I mean, that's, it, it's just, you'll get somebody one day doing it one way and then the very next day, it'll just they'll just change randomly and without you even knowing it. So there is definitely a biological issue here that we can probably spend too much time on and not really get much value out of. But that, that aside, the I think the history or the, What's shown us the direction that we're going is to um, smaller, more focused selling environments. Now, whether that happens human to human, whether that happens bot to human, whether that happens bot to bot, because there are also there's also bots now that I can have on my computer that will automatically respond to your bot, right? So we can just have computers talking to computers, you know, having their own arguments. Um, but that aside. Sales, sales needs to be more efficient and it needs to get out of the, I'm going to make a hundred calls a day, cold calling people that have, I don't know whether or not they have an, uh, a need or a want. And I guess, I guess the analogy I would use there is kind of the way television programming is going. Instead of just broadcasting, they're now creating very specific channels of, of, of types of content and they're just letting people go to it. All right, so so I think if we're looking at ten years from now, first of all, you're you're still going to have your phone ring, you know, at ten p.m. at night or right after you finish dinner with somebody calling you, telling you, telling mispronouncing your name and telling you what it is that you want. That unfortunately, I've been trying to beat that out of every organization that I've come across, but it doesn't ever seem to go away. Um, but I think that the propensity is is that you're going to go to small teams, they're going to be focused, and they're going to use buying signals. And the key to all of this, if you're if you're 
trying to figure out what your next step is, is the first step in any sort of future is everything that you do has to be digital and it has to be on your at your location in your behind your firewall in your website it has to be there you can't that this delivering flyers out at, at trade shows and handing out business cards every piece of knowledge that is about who you are and what you do has to be digital you have to control it and that's the only way you're going to survive the next 10 years uh look hey jim listen thank you uh, again for joining okay. us um always uh, an interesting topic um i know this is a completely different topic, sort of related, but totally different. Uh, you gave a, a TEDx talk on the digital divide, which yeah. uh, maybe we could have you back to talk about at some point in the future, because that, that's a that that, that may, may or break make or break some of the things that we've been talking about today, right? So absolutely. Um, uh, no, I appreciate it. Um, Thank you. And also, you know, uh, just a shout out. You're in Mad Men season four, episode episode ten. ten. Episode 10. Yeah. Now, so you're you're in the background in the club or something, right? Yeah. Something like yeah, that. Just yeah. When they're talking to each other in the club, just look straight back. I'm I'm smoking a a clove cigarette and drinking near beer for like three days. It was not pleasant. So we'll, we'll say you were smoking a Lucky Strike. There right? we go. Yes, yeah. that's that's what it was on the show. And drinking Canadian Club. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, hey, listen, guys, I appreciate it. Thanks, everybody. Um, and uh, you know, we'll. Uh, We'll definitely uh, make sure that there are links up um, with the video and whatnot. Uh, Jim, thanks. Thank uh, appreciate it. Jim Sevier, uh, Bill Bensing, Phil Yanoff, Shashi Shramali. I'm Chris Lockhart. This was Consultants Saying Things. Thanks, everybody. And we will see you next time. Thanks, Chris.